0: podcast of the Jazz Journalists Association, where we discuss news and views from those in the jazz media, writers, broadcasters, photographers, videographers, and other professionals documenting the entire ecosystem of jazz. Welcome to The Buzz, the official podcast of the Jazz Journalist Association. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell. And today we're going to be talking about jazz festivals, not necessarily the festivals themselves, but the way that jazz journalists have covered festivals over the years. I'm here with Larry Blumenfeld, who is the jazz writer for the Wall Street Journal. He also writes regularly for the Daily Beast and Jazz is Magazine, of which he is the former editor. Larry was a lifetime nominee this year for the Jazz Journalism Awards. I'm also here with Carolyn McClare, the longtime publicist and media relations person for the Newport Jazz Festival until 2019, when COVID reared its ugly head. Prior to that, she was publicist for the JVC Jazz Festival in New York for 20 of its 25 years. She was also publicist for the Cool Jazz Festival and the Pittsburgh Jazz Festival, She currently represents a smaller festival, Jazz in the Valley, in Poughkeepsie, New York, and she's done so since its inception 22 years ago. Carolyn was a jazz hero this year for the Jazz Journalism Association. Welcome to both of you. Thanks. Good to be here. Let's just start with a brief review of jazz festivals, their history, and the way that they have been historically covered by jazz writers either one of you just jump in.
1: Well, as you mentioned, I have had the pleasure of working for the Newport Jazz Festival for 10 years. And it's considered the granddaddy of all jazz festivals. It started in 1954 by George Wein. So it's one of the oldest and considered the model for most jazz festivals around the world. My job was media relations and public relations. So I did interact with jazz journalists and music journalists, entertainment journalists, on a regular basis, deciding who and when and how often they could come, how often, meaning every day, one day, two days. So it's always a pleasure, jazz journalists are some of my favorite people in the world. Larry.
2: (laughs) So Yeah, and picking up from what Carolyn said, when I was much younger, I would attend the Cool Jazz Festival, and then later on, JVC Jazz Festivals in New York, which were another creation of George Ween's. Just recently, I went to the first New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival in three years, which, you know, in the entire history of that festival, they never missed a year, not even after Hurricane Katrina. And at that festival, in what they call Ancestor Field, where they have monuments to Dear Departed, they unveiled and had a second-line parade for George Ween to honor him after his passing so that kind of comes a little first full circle and anyone who talks about the jazz festival in the united states has to acknowledge george's innovation inspiration and enthusiasm in being a godfather forefather of that as a jazz lover as a critic as a writer as a journalist i've attended jazz festivals and. New York, in New Orleans, in Maine, in Jacksonville, Florida, in Istanbul, in Morocco, in Cuba. So jazz festivals happen all over the place and they are important and singular events and they are a group of festivals. But to me, they're also part of the just the ongoing life of music and its presentation. Sometimes you might go to the Village Vanguard and hear someone You might hear that same artist in a different setting in a festival. And there are differences that we can talk about.
1: Absolutely. I think just uh, one quick last thing on George Ween is that he said that When he was asked to bring some music and excitement to the city of Newport, he thought about the Classical Music Festival in Massachusetts and decided that a jazz festival would be great to bring jazz, not just in wonderful jazz clubs around the world in the few halls that they were played in, but into the light of day where all kinds of people could come at the same time and listen to one jazz person after another, after another. And I think that's still one of the glories of the Jazz Festival for me, is that you can see so many different people jumping on and off the stage with each other and and just having a great time showing the best and the most of jazz.
2: And of course, one piece of that history that for anyone to experience is that film Jazz on a Summer's Day, which documents some key moments at Newport. And both celebrates incredible artistry and there are also certain incongruities that are interesting there but even when we, if we talk about George it's interesting to me and the things we've mentioned okay Newport which he pioneered the former JVC Jazz Festival in New York which he pioneered and the Jazz and Heritage Festival in New Orleans which he set in motion are very different things Mm -hmm. And he understood and knew. And actually, uh, the story goes in New Orleans, he was invited down there. Hey, give us a Newport Jazz Festival. And he said, no, this is New Orleans. This must be a very different kind of event. And to me, that's important to think about because I would argue that jazz and jazz musicians and that the art that they make really does respond to and participate in its place in a very special way. I won't say more than other forms, but in a very special way. So for me, if I think about what is a jazz festival, it depends on a lot of things. And one key thing is, where is it?
1: Where it is. Mm-hmm.
2: What community is it there to serve?
0: Jazz on a Summer's Day was 1956, if I remember correctly. 56, 57. I attended the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival many times when I was living in Houston, and I always enjoyed my George sightings. And the last time I saw him was 2016 at the Newport Festival, and he was sitting in his golf cart, beaming.
1: The wean machine.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, Carolyn, from the point of view of the presenter, what kind of coverage are you looking for or hoping for from the media? In terms of attracting an audience, It used to be anyway that the advance was really more important than the review since the review most of the time wasn't going to run until after the event was over. Is that your experience?
1: It still is to me. The advance, the preview is is important. The reviews are important as well because they help fund and formulate other festivals in years to come. But the previews that are the ones that draw people there, that somebody says, oh, I see this, this and this that's going to be there and they will come, they go out and buy their tickets. We've recorded many times with JVC and Newport and Jazz in the Valley and other festivals that I've worked. You can tell when an ad has run, you can tell when a a feature story has run, you can tell when somebody's been on radio talking about the festivals, because even if it's only 10 or 12 tickets, you can tell that they just heard something.
0: How do you decide who gets a press pass?
1: It varies as to where that festival is. If it's an outdoor festival and there's plenty of space, a lot more people get press passes because there's more room and you're not taking seats that a jazz fan might have bought by giving them to 600 media people. I don't think I've ever given 600 tickets away, but I have given 200 tickets to media and I probably am considered a lot more loose with tickets than some because if I have the seats, I do believe that critics and jazz writers ought to be able to see those concerts, especially those that are working freelance that aren't having full-time jobs writing for somebody. And because you never know how they're going to use that information down, I've had people, they've come to Newport, with a very small assignment or no assignment. But maybe two months later, they get an assignment on an artist and they talk about that festival appearance and they talk about what that person did, the audience that was there, how the audience reacted to that person. So I find that very beneficial because I expect that every festival that I work is going to go on year after year after year. So those pieces, whether they come later or the day after, the week after the festival, it's still important.
0: The last time I reviewed the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, they didn't assign a photographer. They told me to just take the pictures with your cell phone. And I don't think cell phone quality is anywhere near equal to a good camera and a good photographer, particularly for in print. But the photos I took ran online only and I have to say they looked okay. Do you get less requests from photographers now than you used to?
1: No. Um, At the festivals that I work, though, we only credential photographers who are on assignment, who are carrying a professional camera, and who they can get into the photo pit. And if you can't just come into a photo pit with a cell phone, if that's the only camera that you have to shoot with, you can't come in the photo pit. You can't just use a point and shoot Kodak, go and give them the camera and they develop your films. You have to be an assigned photographer. But now with television, a lot of people use cell phones and it goes right on the news. And if you didn't know that they were shooting with the cell phone, sometimes you can't tell that. So I will credential certain people with cell phones, some bloggers Will do their blogs and record on cell phones. It's the photo pit that's right in front of all the audience and right in front of the stage that we are more careful with.
0: Understood, Larry. You mentioned that you recently revisited the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival for the first time in three years. You've covered that frequently down through the decade. How do you map out your coverage of the festival and other related stories around the festival?
2: That's a good question. I mean, I. I... Return to it after three years because it didn't exist for two years. So in this case, the mere existing of it was a story. Hey, we're doing this again. And, and I think that right now, right now we're all sort of re-entering our lives, re-entering the live music experience for audiences. They really are just getting back in the pool. Uh, and for many musicians, they're just getting back into really touring and really performing regularly again. A festival, is the ultimate convening ritual gathering of coming together around music. So it's a great time for, you know, for any journalist, even if they're not a critic in any market, that's having a festival of any kind to be writing about that festival, because it probably didn't happen or happened in a virtual or truncated fashion for the past two years. So in this case, the return to it, yeah, I, the pitch to an editor was very simple. Hey, 17 years ago, I wrote, quoted Quint Davis, who was the executive producer, or the director of the festival, as saying, six months after the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, we need to put this big soul-generating battery on, which is also a hundreds-of-million-dollar revenue-generating battery on, and do it. Well, the pandemic shut it down for two years. So it was just a big emotional thing by its very existence. For me, I started writing very intensely and have written regularly about many arcs of many storylines in New Orleans since 2005, since that devastation. Some of it had to do with actual renewal. Some of it had to do with cultural rebirth. Some of it had to do with the politics that surround a very storied culture. Some of it had to do with artists that have emerged from that, like, say, Trombone Shorty. So for me, as again this year, that New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival when you say, how would you map out your coverage? Well, I don't really just look at the, there is that incredible grid of here's what's happening over the seven performance days. And you can spend a lot of time just figuring out how am I gonna get from here to here? Am i gonna go here, Irma Thomas, or am I gonna go here, Tramon Shorty, or am I gonna go, you know, just that alone is difficult. But for me, that festival has been a backdrop or a window through which, a lens through which I can tell an ongoing story about New Orleans. So, for instance, this year I wrote a piece for The Nation, which it opens at Jazz Fest, but I'm not reviewing the shows at all. It doesn't really talk that much about the music that's being performed. And it uses the the return of the festival and the setting of the festival to explore what that culture means, both within the fairgrounds that it's happening and beyond the fairgrounds. And I actually would challenge... A challenge. I would urge writers, journalists, critics, and publicists and promoters on the festival side to think beyond just, hey, we've booked Abdullah Ibrahim, you should come and review him, or hey, he's very famous, important, and South African, and you should write a feature profile before he performs to help sell tickets. But actually, any good festival is a story and has stories connected to it. For instance, For the Village Voice, when that was being published, I used to annually write these pieces that would look at these two concurrent festivals, whether it was JVC at the time and the Vision Festival, which is a very important festival as well, but a very different festival. And I'd find storylines. Right now, if I were writing a piece, I would talk about how last week I went to hear Charles Lloyd presented through the Blue Note Jazz Festival and how I went to hear... Wadada Leo Smith, with world premieres of string quartet music at the Vision Festival, but they wouldn't be standalone reviews. I would somehow put them together in how these two things were very different, very different stages, very different audiences, very different festivals, but they had a consistent spiritual and artistic message to them. So I guess I would urge both on the writer side and on the presenting side to think about what are these larger contexts and stories, What is the reason for the festival? What is the story that the festival is telling?
1: I agree with that. And I always, with my cities, one of the first things I do is pitch a story to a visitor and convention bureau because they have an amazing audience of people all around the world that they're reaching out to. So I work with them to do a story, but I always tell the story of the city, the stories of the founders, stories of people around it even the Riverside Park where Poughkeepsie Festival is run, you know, makes a story of its own of people sitting on the riverbanks from decades listening to music and how it's turned into this festival. So it's very important to, to make your cities and the history and background as almost as important as the music and the
2: musicians. I have a, a question, if I could, for Car- Carolyn. You, in your role in Newport, you work with both the Folk Festival, which is another storied festival, and the Jazz Festival. I did, yes. Is your experience in working with the press and with the kind of coverage you get very different for those two festivals?
1: Yes. When I did it, the Folk Festival, I always pitched to general newspapers, mainstream newspapers. There were many more bloggers that were writers at the folk festival then at the jazz festival it's increased with jazz now but we had major jazz magazines we had dailies and papers and radio stations all around the world that would cover Newport jazz folk festival when i first started doing it there were small blogs and podcasts and things that you know i never heard of but what i did with a couple of people it's like well show me what you do they had nothing to show a couple of folks i took a chance on them and now they're very large mainstream writers Mm -hmm. and they you know they took a chance spent their money and they came there stayed because it's very expensive to stay but they got the tickets and they really really worked hard to do it so jazz writers they're just two different families but some writers write for both there are some writers that come to both festivals and do different kinds of stories for the same publication. But
0: Larry, I have a question.
1: You've done it, I think. Haven't you written about the Folk Festival?
0: Me? You.
1: No. No? Okay.
0: I know my friend Jeffrey Himes does that.
1: Yeah, Jeffrey does it, absolutely. Pretty regularly.
0: Wonderful. Um, Larry, I have a question for you, though. You've, you write for a daily paper. You write, you've written for online. You've written for magazines. I may be incorrect in this, but I think of the Wall Street Journal as Fairly buttoned up when you're writing for Daily Beast or Jazz's magazine, do you have the same writer voice or can you shoot more from the hip in those circumstances? Do you read
2: the jazz and cultural coverage in the Wall Street Journal often? I read you when I can, I don't read the Wall Street Journal, I don't subscribe. No, yeah, and there's a because you know the Wall Street Journal's voice and point of view and orientation. In terms of politics and its editorial page and its news coverage is one thing but to the paper's credit they don't inhibit or influence their culture writers in any way other than editorial excellence so that said as a writer, you know any of us who write any of us who've edited any of us involved in you know carolyn you know this anyone involved in the media knows all these things are very different animals, different vehicles in terms of what you can and can't do, how mm-hmm. much space you can get, what the audience should know or wants. So for me, there are very big differences between writing for a daily newspaper about a festival, writing for a specialized music magazine, like a jazz magazine, or writing for a Daily Beast or The Nation or Salon, which I've written about. So and frankly, i covered jazz festivals in Cuba for the Wall Street Journal, where I dug into politics that were very much at odds with what would happen on the editorial page of that uh-huh. newspaper. So uh-huh. I've written about the Vision Festival, which is about as avant-garde and corporate-free as it gets for the Wall Street Journal. When you ask about voice, I think any writer who's worth anything has a voice, and you shouldn't be distorting or changing that voice you know, the way you might change your clothes for different kinds of parties, what you do want to do as a writer. And I don't, I won't write, join a jargony prose because I'm writing for a popular magazine and in an erudite prose because I'm writing for the wall street journal. But what you will do is change what your lead is or how you want to focus and especially what you can assume on the part of the reader. So If I'm writing for Jazz's magazine, or if you're writing for a jazz magazine, well, I think you already care that Abdullah Ibrahim is playing at this festival. You know a little bit about who he is, and I can get into the specifics of what kind of songs he's covering and whether they make references to other musicians you're going to know. For a general interest audience, we all want to draw them in, and the challenge is to speak to both the general reader who might know nothing and the specialist without creating a problem for either one but then there are stories that you want to tell so if i want to tell a largely political and social justice story about a festival about the jazz and heritage festival well it's better put placed in the nation magazine or in daily beast because it Works better in that format. And that's what those readers come to those publications for. And it might have the kind of impact I want. So, for instance, you know, when I write about a festival in Cuba, there will be a backdrop or maybe a foreground about the politics that surround any time American and Cuban musicians come together. And well, maybe I want that. Maybe I want to turn that into a political piece and put it somewhere where that has a home. When the Jazz and Heritage Festival Noron Orleans celebrated its 50th anniversary, well, I thought that was a big deal and it should be in a daily newspaper. And that was important to Mark. So those kinds of decisions. But in terms of the tone and the voice, no, you, you know, you should be who you are. Same as I would expect. A musician might have a different band and a different presentation in a jazz club or at a festival, but they will have the same musical voice.
0: One more question. Festivals as a whole, I'm sure there are exceptions, seem to have survived the pandemic lockdowns, and some of them are even thriving again, even as jazz criticism is, I think, along with the rest of print journalism, struggling to adapt to this changing market. How do you get paid online? Let me give another example. There's a a jazz festival here in Portland, the PDX Jazz Festival, And I say this with a little bit of, I used to write for the daily paper and weekly paper here many, many years ago. So it's a little frustrating to me, but the media, local media here doesn't cover it hardly at all. And when they do cover it, they oftentimes assign somebody who doesn't really know very much about the artists that are being booked, which are frequently at the cutting edge. They do a pretty good job. And that festival is surviving. I I don't know that I'd say it's thriving right now, but it was before the pandemic. So does that mean that maybe, Carolyn, the coverage is not maybe quite as important as some of us writers think it is?
1: I don't think it means that at all. It just means that we have to be a little bit more creative and come up with ways to let people know, increase our mailing list, our email list, and use social media a lot more. When I first started doing JVC, there was, you know, the Daily News, The Observer, The Times, The Wall Street Journal, um, New York Post, um, Newsday, and there were two or three great writers, or four or five in some cases, great writers at all those publications. That's not so anymore, but those you can find that are working for those papers are still just as important. I just have to be more creative to be able to get them to write about it, and the festivals have to be able to use other outlets to do it, but jazz writers, to me, will never be unimportant.
0: Thank you. Larry, any final thoughts?
2: Well, I mean, you've you've opened up a ball of a ball of issues or a bag full of issues. We that, can
0: come back to it uh, in a uh, different
2: podcast. Well, we yeah no, but it, it's just first of all, before the pandemic, live music, live performing arts presented and experienced live was experience a, experiencing a bit of a crisis. The pandemic was a body blow. I know that throughout the performing arts, including festivals, things are down at least 40%. So we don't know what will happen. It's a big open question. And I think those of us who care about, I wouldn't say, hey, we must support this kind of music or that kind of music. But we really should be promoting the idea that live music and live culture matters. And that's true for writers as much as presenters. There's also this crisis or this change that you've mentioned, which is live reviews of jazz or any music are on the wane. There's less of it. There's less space for it. And I can tell you from visiting colleges, there's less interest in reading it. But i would argue that it will always matter and there are very clever ways to turn a live review into something that may not read or look or sound like a live review so how do you tell stories there will never be a death to the telling and reading of stories so what stories do we have to tell there used to be this festival of what is jazz festival in new york questioning well what is a jazz let's think about the festival word instead of the jazz word what is a festival Why is a given festival happening? What story is it telling? As a presenter, what story are you telling? As a critic or a writer, what story can you tell, and how can you tell it? If you think of it that way, as opposed to how can I get X amount of column Minches for three reviews, it's a different question, and there might be a more interesting solution to it. Well said.
0: You've been listening to The Buzz, the official podcast of the Jazz Journalist Association. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell. Today, we've been talking with Larry Blumenfeld, jazz writer for the Wall Street Journal, and Carolyn McCLaire, longtime media relations person for the Newport Jazz Festival, now with Jazz in the Valley in Poughkeepsie, New
2: York. Thank you both. Thanks. Go hear live music. Thank you.
0: Sponsors of the JJA Springtime Activities include the Berklee School of Music, Joyce and George Wien Foundation. Jazz Foundation of America, and SF Jazz, San Jose Jazz, Stanford Jazz Workshop, Monterey Jazz Festival Kumba Workshop, and the Peabody Conservatory. The Buzz is produced by Jeffrey Siegel and features the music of John Michaels performing the tune Big Vic. Thank you for listening, and please come back in two weeks for the next edition of The Buzz.